Hey friends, Pastor Andrew here. Thanks for taking the time to listen in on our sermons here at Asheville First Church of the Nazarene. We post these even though they were preached in a specific time at a specific place to a certain community of people, hoping that God still might use them to speak to you wherever you are. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we are so thankful for your love and your grace in our lives and, and thankful that uh, even through the storm, it can be well with our soul. Um, not only because we have a reconciliation with you, um, but because we know that this is not our final home. And that when we are in love and a relationship with you, we can look forward to being with you forever in a place called Beulah Land. And so, Lord, I pray that our hearts might be lifted up today, uh, no matter what place we might be in in life. And Lord, now as we turn to Scripture, may your Spirit speak to us. May our hearts be open. And may you take these feeble words of mine and turn them into the music and the power of the gospel message for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, turn with me to Hosea chapter 11. Hosea chapter 11 will be... Looking at verses 1 through 9, uh, Hosea, if you, it's, it's towards the back of the Old Testament after Psalms and Isaiah and keep going. It's in what we call the minor prophets. When I was last with you, we were talking about the kingdom of Israel splitting. Uh, so if you're, if you're new with us this Sunday or if you haven't been with us for a while, we're going through scripture narratively. We're going through the story of God's salvation and history. Just so we can have it as a whole, right? We can understand. We don't just take the Bible's bits and pieces. It's, it's one long story of how God's worked in human history. And, uh, and so we were at the, the point of the kingdom of Israel, God's people uh, basically split in two. Uh, the, the north uh, revolted uh, over uh, King Rehoboam and his, uh, really, we talked about inappropriate leadership, his poor leadership. And we talked about what it meant to be a Christ-like leader. Um, and I, I give you dates not to bore you. I, I do think it's important to piece this together, at least to have a rough picture in your mind. And so the kingdom split in about 930 B.C. So that's about 930 years before Christ, uh, the kingdom split in two. Um, and so <clears throat> things, as you can imagine, didn't go too well after that. I mean, they had some good kings and they had some really bad kings, the north and the south and different things. Uh, but the next really big events is the north would fall to the Babylonian Empire. Uh, they'd be destroyed and taken over in 722 BC. And then the southern kingdom, we know, will fall later, um, about 150 years after that. And so we're looking at the prophet Hosea because the prophets then, once the kingdom splits, uh, the prophets, we start to get more of the prophets. And we often don't re understand as Christians in the church sometimes, how do we handle the prophets? We kind of ignore the prophets, but actually they make up a, a very large portion of the Old Testament. I get it. Uh, sometimes the prophets are hard to read because, well, they're messages to a people. They're messages to Israel at a certain point in time. Uh, and so when we read them, uh, if unless we've done the kind of the background, we don't know exactly what's going on or why the prophet's talking like he often is. Um, and so that's why we, I need to talk about the background to see that. Uh, sometimes we think the prophets uh, in, in the Old Testament, even all the 
apocalyptic prophets, even Revelation, sometimes we get the wrong picture of it. And we think that they were messages for people way down the road. Uh, they were messages for people thousands of years later. And that's really just incorrect because uh, they were always intended. They were written, they were spoken, they were preached to a specific people at a specific time. And that people was Israel and the people of God, right? Uh, they wouldn't have become scripture if people said, I don't know what these mean, but here we go, right? Uh, they were meant for them time. They understood it. It was a message to them. Um, and so we handle them incorrectly. You know, the prophets weren't weird guys in caves writing down messages, putting them in a bottle on the shelf and leaving them for thousands of years later. That's not what was happening. They were guys, flesh and blood, going to people and saying, this is what the Lord has to say to you right now. Um, but like all of Scripture, we can go to the prophets and we can listen in to what God was saying to them and then we can hear what God might be saying to us through that, whether it be the prophets, whether it be through the law, whether it be through the gospels, right? We listen in and we say, okay, I'm hearing what God was saying to them. What might God have a similar message for us today? And often we see it applies so well today. All right, so that's how we handle the prophets. That's, that's why we look at the prophets. But we need to look at the prophets because as we see Israel go through, now we as the people of God, we can identify with them and hear what God has to say about us. So today we're looking at Hosea. Uh, Hosea was one of the early prophets. He uh, was in about the time of Amos. And uh, so he first started preaching to the people. He first started talking to the people um, about 20 or 30 years before the northern kingdom fell. All right, and so we're going to talk more about that. So he's a northern kingdom prophet, Hosea. Um, so let's just jump in. Uh, Hosea chapter 11, looking at verses 1 through 9. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son, the more I called them, the more they went from me. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and offering incense to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms, but they did not know that I had healed them. I led them with, human, with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks and I bent down to them and fed them. They shall return to the land of Egypt, and Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword rages in their cities. It consumes their oracle priests and devours because of their schemes. My people are bent on turning away from me. To the Most High they call, but he does not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Admah? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and no mortal. 
the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Things were not going well in Israel during this time. Um, And you might notice in the text, Ephraim was another way to say Israel in the northern kingdom. Ephraim was the biggest tribe in the north. But things weren't going well, and that is an extreme understatement at the time. Yeah, during this time, uh, you know, on the outside, things were going well. When Hosea came on the scene, if you would have asked people in the northern kingdom how things were going, they would have said, oh, pretty good. Um, you know, Jeroboam II had just died, but that really, his reign, he reigned for 41 years, and his reign capped off about a 100-year period in the northern kingdom where they had a lot of stability, uh, where the stock market was up and the enemies had stayed away and things were going pretty well on the outside. Of course, they didn't have a stock market, but you know, the cattle were up, you know, the sheep were up and things were doing well. Um, On the outside, it looked like things were doing okay. It was one of the most, and we can look back historically, it was one of the most stable times in the northern kingdom, but from God's point of view, that's the point of view that really matters. Things weren't going so well in the northern kingdom. In fact, it was going disastrous for the people of God. And we might imagine prophets don't come onto the scene. God doesn't send prophets to say, hey, keep it up. You're doing well. Prophets usually came with a difficult and hard message for the people. And if you read the whole book of Hosea, it's a pretty difficult message. Hosea comes to the northern kingdom. Well, let me just share a portion uh, of what's going on. Uh, In Hosea chapter 4, it just starts off like this. Hear the word of the Lord, O people of Israel, for the Lord has an indictment against the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or loyalty, no knowledge of God in the land, swearing, lying, and murder, and stealing and adultery break out. Bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore, the land mourns, and all who live in it languish. Together with the wild animals and the birds of the air, even the fish of the sea are perishing. Hosea wouldn't say things are going too well, would he? When God looks to what is happening in the northern kingdom, he is seeing violence and sin and worship of idols. And in fact, it is so bad that even the land itself is suffering destruction and the animals are dying, Hosea says. You know, I I just read a a report a few weeks ago that as scientists have just done a big uh, count of the birds and they've realized that since 1970, one-third of the bird population has died in the last 50 years. And there's millions and millions of birds, so we don't recognize it at front, but once you start counting them, one-third of the bird population has died. I'm sure it's no big deal. Hosea would say otherwise, though. Hosea's prophetic ministry is a powerful witness against humanity's sin that we think we can get away with it. We think as long as things are going well, it's all okay, but it's not all okay to God. So God used Hosea in a powerful way. 
I like the ministry of Hosea because at once it's both illuminating. We see incredible metaphors, and we're going to talk about those metaphors. Uh, but Hosea was not just your average, you know, preacher Joe that showed up and, and read things. Uh, God actually instructed Hosea to kind of live out his message in, in really strange ways. Um, this is what prophets were all about, getting people's attention, Right. And so one of the ways God instructed Hosea to live out his message was uh, if you read the, the first three chapters of Hosea, he tells Hosea to go take a wife who is a prostitute. Uh, take a wife who is a prostitute and that he'll have children uh, with her and the, these will be instructions to the people of Israel. That, that was uh, to model the type of relationship that Israel had become with God, that that Israel was like an unfaithful spouse uh, who was not just once or twice, but it was in a habit recurringly of cheating on their spouse. And God says, see, that's the type of relationship that I have with Israel, that Israel keeps cheating on me with them. If you come to me and says, uh, God told me to marry a prostitute, I'm probably going to stop you right there. You know, this is only for Hosea. But Hosea, in fact, we hear a message from Hosea and the way he named his children. This is how bad it is. Of that marriage, these were the names of the children he gave from that marriage. The first was Jezreel. That was in reference to a great slaughter within Israel, reminding Israel of their sin um, and uh, reminding them of their, that bloodshed. The next one in the Hebrew was Lo-Rumah, which literally means no love or no pity, that God has no more pity on his people, Israel. The third child that Hosea had with his spouse, lo am I, which literally means they are not my people. Folks, it doesn't get darker than that the prophets naming his children, that God is saying, these aren't my people and I won't have any more pity on them. Do you think things were going well in Israel during this time? God had had it. He'd put up with it long enough, enough sin, uh, enough adultery, as God says, enough bloodshed. He had had it and he felt like he was done. But in the midst of these this bad news that Hosea has so much, we see one of the amazing things uh, in these metaphors, uh, the metaphors of a spouse. And as we're going to see in chapter 11, as we saw, the metaphor of a parent to a child. We see that God is not someone who's untouched, who God is not someone far away that looks as a, a cold scientist on the world. Like God is a family member. God is like a parent. God is like a spouse who is scorned. Those are the most intimate relationships of our lives. They are what we write all of our TV shows about. They are what we write all of our songs about. And one of the amazing things through all the bad news that we already see is that God is, he's not the unmoved mover. God is, oh, he is moved. He is touched. He is hurt. Because he is the God who loves. 
And any of us know, all of us have had uh, parents, all of us have parents, even if we're not a parent ourselves. Uh, many of us have been in ro romantic relationships. We know that these close relationships, they can be the joy of our lives, and yet when they go poorly, they can actually be the most painful experiences of our lives. And that is the message of Hosea. God is like a hurt spouse or a hurt parent. And I think hopefully these metaphors that Hosea uses for us can draw us in to seeing a picture of God's heart. You know, these last two years, as we're gonna, we've been celebrating Desmond's birthday uh, this last week, these last two years have, have been hard. Um, they've been great. Uh, they, they, I usually tell people they're harder. Parenthood is harder, but much better than I ever dreamed, right? Um, I didn't think I was going to make it out of those first three months. You know, I, I really didn't. I don't know. I'd, I'd love to look back on my sermons from that time period. I'm sure they were rough. Uh, just probably not much hope being in, in those sermons. Because you just, you don't think you're ever going to sleep again. You just think this is my new life and this is it. But, yeah. But, you know, that actually, as I look back the last two years, that, I mean, that probably was the hardest um, you know, just physically time period, but probably, and it was a relatively short time period, probably the hardest uh, point that I had uh, was, well, one of the hardest points was we, daycare, before this daycare, Desmond's now, now going to this preschool, praise the Lord, we're so thankful, <laughs> um, but he was at another preschool, and they were good, but there was a time period where he was getting bit. Mm. Um, and that was my first, like, you know, daddy bear moments uh, where I understood it the first time, but the next day I come in and he has like three bites on him. Ooh, I was ready to ask where the dad was and we're going to go talk, right? And, uh, I, I was willing to lose my sanctification for a moment. And, um, and so, I mean, he came home with these bites and I was so angry. I was, oh, I don't like this. But then the worst part was it was a number of months later and then he turned into the biter. And we were getting reports. Oh, he bit someone today. Oh, I didn't like to hear that at all. And then one day we came and I think he bit two or three the height of his day. Yeah, I know. And, uh, you know, it's cute and we laugh, but it was my first experience also having kind of righteous anger with my son. Just saying, no, that's not what we do. And I can't tell you what made me more angry. It's almost about even. Because here I'm thinking, I did not put in all this work. I'm being serious. I did not put in this two years of work, and some of you are saying try 30 years. I know. I get it. I hear myself. This is, this is yeah, this is, uh, this is for illustration purposes. But I, I did not put in all that work to raise a mean bully of a son. I mean, it just ain't going to happen, right? Um, it, was, it was hard. I, I remember there was, there was that week. It was really just one week or two where I was nervous when we would go pick him up from daycare because I said, what are they going to say? Did he have a good day or a bad day? Um, and I didn't like it. But, yeah, right, he's, he's going to get kicked out. So, you know, these, these things are amazing devices. I know they cause a lot of problems, and, but they're also pretty amazing. You know, you have in your pocket a good camera with you all the time. And, I mean, much even different than my growing up, Desmond's going to have a picture almost from every day of his life of doing something. 
And what I like to do during the hard times, and I think many of us have done this, what I like to do during the hard times is go back to the better days or the cute pictures and remind myself, oh, okay, he's not just a biter. Oh, we had some precious moments. There's where he's giving me a sweet hug when he slapped me today, you know. (laughs) During those stressful times, I like to go back to the pictures to remind me of the love that I have for him when I need a reminder. Hosea chapter 11 is exactly that for God. What Hosea is speaking on behalf of God, we've gone through all the badness. We know they've done messed up. We know they've bit themselves and God and everyone around. And God's thinking, I didn't put in all this work to raise these type of people. And God's had it. And that's why we looked at the children's names. Not my people, no more pity. But in chapter 11, it's almost like God pulls out his phone. I don't think God has a phone, but if he did. And he started looking through the pictures. And God reminds himself, and these are really intimate portraits. This is what I love about Hosea, that he's not just saying, this is what God says. He actually gives us a window into God's very heart and God's very thinking, actually. And it's an intimate window. God goes back to those pictures and he says, oh, remember, remember when, I, when I saved Israel out of Egypt and brought them out with a mighty hand? Do you remember that? Do you remember oh, when I taught Israel to walk. These, these images that Hosea gives us aren't of necessarily a father or a mother. In fact, there, there's no differentiation. If you ask me during this time period, this would have been really more motherly duties that God is taking on here. But do you remember, do you remember when I taught him to walk? Do you remember, oh, I, I used to hold Israel in my arms. Look how small they were then. Do you remember when I led them with cords of kindness and bands of love? When I led them along as a little toddler? Do you remember, oh, I love this one where I used to lift Israel to my cheeks and just nuzzle in their fat cheeks. I think we've all done this before. And here God's going through the pictures Oh, do you remember when I was just teaching them to feed and I had to bend down so far to get, I used to feed them sweet potatoes and mashed potatoes. And all of the anger and the frustration about who Israel's become, God looks back in Hosea chapter 11 and remembers the love and the care that he has put into them and the way he has loved them as a child. And of course, Israel's gone the wrong way. Israel's messed up. In verses one through four, we see God look back at those precious memories and he's reminded of the love. And then, but then verses five through seven, he kind of comes back to reality. And God says, but now they're bent on turning away from me. And the sword, he looks at their cities and he says, the sword rages in their city and it's their own fault. It's from their own schemes. All those oracle priests that they cheated on me with, now they're getting destroyed. They cry out to me, but I'm not going to answer. 
And it could have ended there. God could have returned the loving memories and say, look at how good we had it, but now they messed up and they're getting what they deserved. And that could be the end of the story, but it's not. In verse eight, God asks himself the question, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I give up on you, my child? And then God Almighty says, and if you ask most people, you think that God Almighty can't say this, but he does in Scripture. My heart recoils within me. God looks at the pictures and he remembers the love that he has for a child. And even through the pain and, and frustration, his, his heart comes back about what's going on in Israel, about the destruction that's about to take place and his heart recoils. Have you ever had that experience? That you come to the brink of anger, and yet your heart comes back, and it recoils. Then the Almighty says, my compassion grows warm and tender. Warm and tender. God's love for Israel comes back. And in verse 9, he decides within himself, I will not execute my fierce anger, I will not again destroy Ephraim. And people might mock. Sometimes we mock parents who are too easy on their kids. Those same people might mock God. Oh, you're being soft. Oh, they're getting what they deserved. You better not do that. And God's got a response for those people. God declares, I am God. I am no mere mortal. I don't play by your rules. You may not understand it, mere human. You may not comprehend it. You may think it's soft, but it is my prerogative. I am God Almighty. I am the Holy One in your midst. If God comes down and says that most of us would tremble with fear about what's about to take place, but you know what God means by that? That I'm no mere mortal, that I am the Almighty, the Holy One in your midst. He's saying that I'm not like you, where when I get mad, I destroy things. I'm not like you that can't control my anger. I'm not like you and what you've seen and what you've felt, that anger gets the best of me what it means to be God Almighty and what it means to be the Holy One of Israel is that he is slow to anger and quick and abounding in steadfast love. What makes God holy, what is truly divine, that God's love and compassion trumps everything, that his love is the defining trait of God's character and it most assuredly overcomes whatever anger and wrath he has. This prophetic word by Hosea, you might say, boy, pastor, that is, that's incredible for Israel. I wish that applied to me. I wish I was a part of Israel for God to say those things about me. The amazing thing is, the, why, the reason that these words are so prophetic for us even today is that we can take 
God's words in Hosea chapter 11, and when we look to the person of Jesus Christ, we see that Hosea's words match up exactly to what we saw and experienced in Jesus Christ. And that the life and ministry and mission of Jesus Christ was to take Israel's position to take the love of God that God had for Israel and blow the doors wide open for every human on earth, for every man, woman, and child on this planet that we all can call God Father. And what we see in Jesus Christ, we don't just hear it, we see it by the way he came in poverty and in life and suffered among us, the way he suffered torture and humiliation and in fact went to the cross not to satisfy wrath, but to show and to reveal and to live out the compassion and love of God so that you and me, we can now look at the words of Hosea chapter 11 and say, that's not just for Israel, that's for me too. And I can know that not because I heard some preacher preach about it. I can know it not just because I read it in a book. I can know it because I can see it. I can experience it in the person of Jesus Christ. What Jesus came to do was to reveal who God was, to reveal that holy love to every one of us and to invite us into that same relationship. My friends, I, I think, I know, I believe that the major spiritual struggle for Christians, for those that want to believe and choose to believe, what the major struggle for us today and for all time is to get the bad images of God out of our head. Now, I don't know what, for whatever reason, maybe it's the parents we grew up with, maybe it's things that happened to us as a child or, or maybe things we were taught as a child or, or were raised with. But we have often this idea of who God is in our head and, and often it's a, a demanding God. Often it's a God who's looking for us to mess up or, or it's a God that has all these rules we better not break or it's a God who stands far off and doesn't care very much. And I hate to see even as Christians sometimes, we still carry with us those images of God that we just can't shake. And I think the spiritual struggle and the spiritual calling of us for, through the gospel and through Jesus Christ, but we need to recover in our spiritual lives is the words of Hosea because they speak directly to the message and the revelation of Jesus Christ that we see in God not a demanding parent, not, not someone looking for us to mess up, not a distant judge waiting for us to come before him, but that we see a loving parent, a parent who, oh, his desire is for us, who loves us beyond imagination. In fact, what the scripture says is that loves us more than we can even understand, more than we can comprehend because God's not a mere mortal. He's not just like the parents that we had. God is much different than a human. His love is pure. His love is more perfect than we know. But I think the spiritual struggle for us today, 
for us who are Christians, even not as Christians, to understand God's depth of love. That it goes far beyond what we might dare trust and believe. I, I, I think that uh, if I, we really realize that depth of love, if Andrew Crimmins lived out that knowledge of God's love for me, I wouldn't worry nearly as much. I wouldn't wake up in the morning stressed about what I need to do for that day. I, I, I wouldn't be so hard on myself. I'd love myself better knowing how much God loved me. I don't think I, I would struggle uh, to pray or I wouldn't struggle to want to go to church. I wouldn't struggle with the spiritual life because I'd want to talk to the God who loves me so much. I'd want to experience a time of worship. That God, if I really understood how much love was there, I wouldn't have spiritual struggles. I, I wouldn't, oh man, I could rest in the peace knowing that God Almighty, the creator of the universe, loves me that much. And also, if I, if I really, if that was the basis of my spiritual life, knowing that God's love wasn't just for Andrew Kremens, though. It was for everyone else. I don't think I would struggle to love my neighbor as myself. Because if I really believed that the God Almighty loved my neighbor like the parent that Hosea was talking about. Oh boy, I wouldn't want to be caught biting my neighbor, would I? If I can understand that feeling, imagine how God feels when his children hurt one another. I wouldn't struggle to be generous towards my neighbor or to serve my neighbor or to be with, I would go running to people because the God Almighty loves them that much that when I see the faces around me, when I see the people around me, that's how I would see them. I would see how much God loves them, even if they're my enemies, even if they seem far off from God, knowing God's heart for them. Oh, it would change the way I lived. Do you see why I think it's the spiritual struggle for Christians and anyone alike today to truly understand and comprehend the depth of God's love for us? For humans. And so I know it's hard to talk about as an abstract thing. I know it's hard to hear Andrew Crimson babble on about it. I think it's easier to look at pictures, right? It's easier, just like Hosea taught us, to go through those pictures and say, oh, to identify with those relationships in our lives. So I have a few pictures this morning, and uh, there's one or two of Desmond, but there's some, you might see yourself in these pictures um, and I want to just show these pictures because I think they speak to us as a reminder of, of God's love. <laughs> Some of them might be funny, you know, it's, it's back in the day, oh, that's precious. I don't know who that guy is. Yeah. <laughs> you might not see your picture up here, um, but I hope at least nothing else, these pictures think, make you think of your pictures. That you can look at these and think, oh, look how much love is there. And yet, 
that's only a glimpse of the way God feels about you. If you can really, really take that in, friends, your life will never be the same. You won't struggle spiritually. You won't struggle to love your neighbor as yourself. And so my question for you this morning, what will you do in the face of such love? Will you accept it? Will you let it fill your heart? Will you respond to it and say yes and live in that love? Or will you ignore it? Will you say, eh, and will you run the other way? That's really what this faith thing's about. That's really what the gospel message is about. Will you accept God's love or not? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are humbled to be in your presence and to think of the love that you have for us. And as we're about to partake in, to remember that the love that led you to give up your son on behalf of us, that you would spare nothing, that nothing could hold you back from coming and rescuing us, your children. So I pray in these moments, might we come to a deeper understanding of your love. May we accept that love, perhaps for the first time. May we turn from our own ways, turn from our sins, and embrace the love of Jesus Christ. Would you speak to us now? May this time of communion, may these emblems be for us a means of Christ's body and blood and his love for us. It's in your name we pray, amen. As our servers come down, I'd like we're gonna, during the communion serving time, it's a time of prayer. I'd invite you to pray in an altar, pray in your seat before you come down. But you might notice we're gonna, I'm gonna have the pictures uh, rotate through during the serving time. And I'm, I'm going to do that because it's, I, you might just glance up and say, it might be that reminder that God loves me that much. Right? But also, as we partake in communion, this is that physical picture. It is the tangible way that we can look at the emblem and say, and remind ourselves, much like a picture, and say, this is how much Christ loves me. That he broke his body presented in the bread, and he shed his blood for you and me. Friends, if I shed my blood and give my life for my son, there would be no greater act of love, and I would do it in a heartbeat. How much more so does God love us? And so communion is that picture time where we look at it and say, oh. And we invite our hearts to connect with God's heart. You don't have to be a member of our church taking communion. All that we ask is that you say yes to this love, that you come up with a loving heart and a faithful heart to say yes to the love of God in Jesus Christ. I'd invite you to take this time of prayer and reach out to the God and listen what it looks like to live in this love, to really embrace it day in and day out. On the night our Lord was betrayed, after giving thanks, he broke the bread, saying, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat, whenever you do, in remembrance of me.
In the same way, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood shed for you and for forgiveness of sins. Take, drink, whenever you do, in remembrance of me. When you are ready, come embrace the love of Jesus Christ. Amen. Church family, would you stand with me? Might you be the people who live and stay and find shelter in the love of God Almighty. And might you also be the people who show and share that love to all those around you. You are a beloved child of God, and nothing can change that. Thanks for listening in today. I hope God continues to speak to you in the days to come and that you find whatever is the next step for you in your life. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website at ashnaz.org or feel free to stop by the church anytime. We'd love to see you. God bless.